pray and let's just agree and and that we're going to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us today in these verses in Colossians 1 and 2. And let Him speak to you. Let Him deal with your heart today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the words of encouragement. We thank You for words in worship. That, Lord, it is through Your peace and that we can decide we will worship You and that, Jesus, we belong to You. And because of that, we dedicate ourselves to You. And Holy Spirit, right now, we make a decision to tune in our ears and give you our attention. No matter what distractions may have gone on before we came here today, no matter what things may have been said before the service or things, thoughts that that were going through our mind, we make a decision right now to give you our undivided attention. Holy Spirit, we say, have your way. Speak to us with the words that are said or, or beyond the words that are said into our, into our heart. We know that you are our teacher and that you speak directly into our spirit and you guide us and you direct us. You're our helper. You're our guide. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for teaching us what you would have us to know. We thank you for the provision that you bring about in our lives that's provided to us through our salvation, that, that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding of God's will, of God's word. And we receive that from you right now. Jesus, Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for the provision. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for making a way for us. We worship you this morning with our attention as well as our words and our... And we receive. Say, I receive in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I believe you meant it. And so we're going to, we're going to get into the book of Colossians and... We're going to take up where we left off two weeks ago. Last week we, we um, hadn't really planned it that way, but we had a Thanksgiving message, and so we didn't continue in Colossians last week. But the week before we left off in the, uh, toward the end of, well not actually the end, but towards the, the latter part of chapter 1. And if you look at your outline there, uh, we said that you could, you could divide this book into five parts. And so the second part being the emphasis on Jesus being the great mystery, as Paul called it. And so we've been studying that for a few weeks. And we started in verse 13, dealing with how he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Jesus came, he was on a rescue mission from heaven. And he, his, his mission was to rescue you from the domain of, the, of darkness, the domain of the enemy, and to translate you or transfer you over into his kingdom. And I said, for all you Trekkie fans, it's like beaming you up. <laughs> Happened instantly. And it's the same as, as your spirit coming alive. The instant you were born again, you were transferred into a different kingdom. You could say you were adopted into a different family. You had a new father. He was really the father God all along. You just didn't identify with him. And so he rescued you. He transferred you. And then we, we went on how Paul is describing in this book... He, he's coming against a heresy by emphasizing who Jesus is and all that he's done and what that means for us and how, we, how it manifests in us. And so he, he's telling them all about Jesus. So he goes on to, after he's saying he was sent here. Why was he sent? He was sent to rescue you. And then he goes on to talk about who he is. Well, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. But then... That's at the beginning of time, but then he goes on to compare that, that when he came to bring salvation and he birthed his church, or we would call it the family of God, 
or later the body of Christ. He was the first man to be reborn, to be crucified and rise from the dead. He was the first one to raise from the dead, meaning he went to hell. Defeated it because he had the power to do so. He was the first and only one that could do that. So he was the firstborn of the born again. So he was the firstborn in creation. He was the firstborn of the born again into the, to the church of the living God, the family of God. And so it's an interesting comparison that Paul makes in explaining who Jesus is and talking about he's the head of the church. He has the preeminence. We have to recognize him as that. And that it was for, it says in verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all of his fullness to dwell in him. Now, he's leading up to telling you that, to what he's going to tell you in verses 26 and 27. You remember, remember to verse 19 when we, when we review verse 26 and 27, that Jesus is the fullness of God. He was sent here to show the fullness of God, the nature. And see, that I said that was a key to understanding the, understanding the Father God, is understanding that Jesus is his fullness. He's the full representation of the Father God. Of El Shaddai, Elohim. Jesus was the representation. He was the image. He was the firstborn. He was there with him in creation. He, he always consulted with his father. He was in sync with the father's will, the father's word. He demonstrated the nature, the personality of the father when he was here on earth, didn't he? He said, I do nothing except what I see my father doing. Didn't he say that? And then he went about doing good. He demonstrated the goodness of God. And so he was, he was the fullness in flesh of the Father God, of his nature, his personality, his goodness, all these things. And so it's a key to really understanding um, God and what he is like, is, is getting and acknowledging that Jesus was a representation and is and contains the fullness of, of the Father God. And so that's a, that's a concept, if, if, you're, if you're struggling with it, then pray, meditate on it. Ask the Holy Spirit to show it to you. And then it said in verse 20, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth and things in heaven. And so that, that is an important key part, that it was through him that peace was made, and through the blood of his cross, and, and not only things on earth, but things, heaven, the spiritual realm was reconciled back to God. Jesus took the keys of the kingdom away from the devil when he went to hell. And so things were straightened out in the spiritual realm as well as in this natural realm. Salvation came. And so things got back in alignment with their original intended purpose. And so we went on last week and started in verse 21. And so if you're looking at your... Your outline, we're still in the second part, Jesus the Great Mystery, and we're going to finish that today. We got about halfway through the second part of it. And so we, we went on and, we, and, and, and I said that when we started this second part, you'll see there that you could look at there's two kind of themes to the message of this second part. And one is that God has provided everything you'll ever need through Jesus and His anointing that lives within you. And his suffering and death were sufficient to pay the price for this great salvation you've been given with no, no additional sacrifice on your part. So, and we said that, you know, Jesus plus anything equals nothing because you can't add anything to him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is the fullness. He's provided everything. The anointing that, that he brought to us is everything we need. So, we start in verse 21 
And it starts there. It says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So at the time Jesus came, and, and even though we weren't living 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, your, your status or your, how you were, where you were before Jesus came to you or came in you was this was a description of you. You were alienated from the family of God. You didn't realize it because you were deceived. And, and you, to the point you were even hostile. Towards you. I said, well, hostile. And it says, but what part of you was hostile? It said, in mind, doesn't it? Or in your soul, your soulish realm. You were hostile towards God. And you might not have, you might not personally have exhibited hostility, but you were not open to the gospel. There was things that were hindering you. Now, you might have been gradually the Holy Spirit working on you, and you were mellowing over time. But any given point in time before you were born again, you, you were not open to the gospel fully. You didn't receive it, in other words, would be a good way to say it. Because once you receive, that, that seals the deal, right? And so you hadn't received. But, it's, but, but we all know people, and you might have been one of them, that not only were you not open and not receiving, you were, you were saying things out of your mouth and things out of your mind that were anti-God, that were against the Father God, against Jesus. And so I was thinking about this this week. I know we spent time on this last week, so I don't, I don't intend to, to stall or stop here. But as I was driving along yesterday and I saw some things at, at, at this farm and a sign up that said, in God we trust. And, oh, that's just neat and, and this. And, and I was thinking, you know, that's harmless, but it's a good way somebody can just remind people that, that God is God and that they as individuals trust in Him. And that's a good witness, right? But I was just thinking, you know, there's people that would, that would come along and they'd hate that. They'd get mad because they saw that sign in somebody's yard and, and would want to want to to the point they'd want to go to maybe to the town and, and make an ordinance. You can't put public signs up like that because that's, that's against the freedom of religion or whatever, which is actually the opposite. But the, this is the way, do we, you know, y'all are looking at me like, but don't you, don't you hear and see this every day on the news? I'm not promoting listening to the news, but, but if you hear stories, don't you hear stories that are just that bizarre of how... Things have swung so far and people are so far off track that they even, you know, some harmless just, you know, statement. But really we think, oh, that's, that's really neat that somebody would put a sign up or something like that. But the people get so angry about it to the point that they, that they would go and protest or riot or take action or try to manipulate government or manipulate people. This is what this is talking about. Is before you meet Jesus... You, you could find yourself being hostile. You might have been one and one. <laughs> now, I'm not saying every, every unbeliever is militant against the Father God. They're not. But there are degrees of this. And so I'm trying to, to bring this out, I, I, I hope, so that you'll understand where some people are coming from. What, what is it that's going on there? Well, God is not, they have not made God they, their Father. They have not received Jesus as their Lord. So who is influencing their mind? The devil. They're being deceived by every thought. Other, sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's just human nature or human beings that, that have some influence. But the devil is the God, little g, of this world. And he is going about as a roaring lion, growling and trying to scare you and deceive you into, into submission to him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really open his mouth because if he did, he, you'd see he has no teeth. But, but if he deceives you into thinking that you should be scared and do whatever, you know, and leads you, and this is all subtle, very subtle, 
It's not quite that abrupt. But, but, and it happens over time. And you just succumb and you fall in line, lockstep, because you're, you know, you're afraid and you want to be, and you want to be politically correct, you know, like a robot. And so people end up doing things that when we take back and we're thinking about it on the other side of salvation, looking back at it, it's like, that's so absurd. <laughs> you should really know, if you really knew who God is, you would realize you're just deceived. But that's the definition of deception. You don't know you're deceived, right? <laughs> it's because you're deceived. And so this hostility towards God, haven't we not just seen it? We've come through it for the last year with all this in the media and all these things. And, and, and guess what? Just because the elections are over, they're not going to stop, okay? So maybe we get a little bit of a lull or a break because some of them are still licking their wounds, but, <laughs> but we need to not let our guard down, right? Because the devil's still the devil. People are still people who are deceived. But, but thank God that we're moving out. We're seeing results. The kingdom of God is advancing. And I don't mean through political means. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about through witnesses, testimonies, ministry, the Word of God, getting out, going forth. And so, you know, again, I didn't mean to spend so much time there, but, but we were hostile towards God. But yet, while we were in that condition, or while the earth or mankind was in that condition, Jesus came. That's the great story of Christmas, right there. Um, that Jesus came and paid the price, and physically suffered and died and paid the price to reconcile us and He made us holy and blameless. Even to those who were at the time still hostile, He paid the price and in that provision was the ability to make them holy and blameless. And they didn't have to earn it. They didn't have to do one single thing to add to it. All they had to do and all we had to do and all those who are yet to receive Him have to do is to just receive that and walk in it. Continue to, to act on it in faith. And so that's a, you know, we could say that's the Christmas message right there in Colossians 1, uh, what is it, 21 and 22. But then he goes on in, in, 23, in 24, excuse me, and says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So Paul was, was talking about, you know, in in teaching this message, and especially he's wanting this message to get across to these people at Colossae because this deception had come in, that, that Jesus alone was not enough. They still needed to do works of the law. They needed to do all these things that add to Jesus. And so what he was saying was, you know, I've suffered for teaching that Jesus is enough, that he's it. He did everything and you didn't have to do anything but just receive. And he said, but I count that a blessing. That's a blessing for being persecuted. Jesus was persecuted, so I'm just continuing on in, in his afflictions. And I don't count that as, as a bad thing, if that's the purpose. Because he saw that, that, that teaching and emphasizing the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he has done was worth it all. It was worth it all. And so, as you step out and do what God's called you to do, you might, somebody might be criti- critical of you. Somebody might say ugly things to you and hurt your feelings. Are you willing to go through it? Are you willing to go through it for Jesus? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to be for somebody to be hostile towards you? Because see, this their their hostility that people have towards God it spills over onto you when you, when God is coming out of you, <laughs> and when you're speaking the word of God, 
that sometimes that will turn and focus on you. So I'm not telling you that this is not a bad news message, by the way. Okay, but I'm telling you this to prepare you, and so you understand when people are ugly to you, when people say hateful things to you, when you're sharing the word of God or some principle in the word of God, or you're sharing and you're 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 thinking I'm acting in love, but yet it gets repulsed out of hatred or deception. Realize who's behind it. Is this the the way God created them to be? Is this the way God sees them and wants them? To be a part of his family? Or is this deception of the enemy? It's the deception of the enemy, right? And so they're deceived just like we were at one time. They're deceived just like Paul was talking about here. Alienated from God and hostile in their mind. But see, there's more to us as, as beings, as created beings than a mind and a body. Thank God we have a spirit that, is, that has the ability to be reborn and filled with the presence and the spirit the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's the missing ingredient to these people who are hostile, right? Is that they had the capability, they were created as a three-part being, a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body, but their spirit is not come, has not come alive. It's not been reborn to God. And so all it takes is that one acknowledgement of Jesus and receiving Him into their heart by faith, believing that He was the Son of God, that He came to the earth, He died on a cross, he, he was crucified, died, went to hell, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and then resurrected. The moment they believe that, receive that, and speak, confess Him out of their mouth, they go from being that empty vessel spirit to a reborn spirit full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Spirit of God, and an, an heir of the salvation of Jesus. Happens just that quickly. Like I said, you know, beam them up. And they're part of the family. And so that's... You know, one, one moment's difference between the hostile person who's being nasty to you <laughs> to the child of God who is experiencing the presence of God on the inside out or from the inside out. And so they're one moment away from being, not being hostile, right? Just like you and I were. And so, where was I? Verse 25. He says, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. See, Paul was alluding to the fact that this was his calling, was to to preach Jesus, to teach, and to disciple people about who Jesus was, how to receive him, what they have when they they accept Jesus, everything that he's done for them, to, to, as he says, or he puts it, to uh, fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, to, to preach and teach the gospel. So he's alluding to the fact that that's, you know, that's why he's being persecuted, but he's, he's, he counts that a blessing because he's doing what God's called him to do. And then he goes on, the verses we want to get to, 26 and 27, and says, that is, talking about the Word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed, okay, the saints is to whom he willed, to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So it's not just for the Jews. It wasn't just, there's no longer just a chosen people anymore. This is to everybody. Aren't you glad? Especially if you didn't come from Jewish descent, aren't you glad? (laughs) This is getting back to the way it was in creation. God didn't limit things in, in, at the beginning, did He? He said, now Adam, you're going to ha- have dominion and authority, but I'm going to carry out my will only through, only through 
part of the human race that comes out of you. rest of them, well, they can just go to hell. No, God wanted, he, he intended it all to be like Adam and Eve, for all to have fellowship with him. Even, even when Cain killed Abel, and right before Cain, God reached out to him. And even after, he had mercy on him, right? It wasn't like, well, you know, forget that now, I'm going to find somebody else. No, that's, that's not the way God created things to be. So things are, are here, Paul is describing how in Christ things are getting back. He said that already to the way they were intended to be. So verse 27, to whom God willed to make known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And and I said at the beginning of this series, uh, I'm excited about getting to this part of this book because this is what this church was founded on, was the revelation that Christ is inside of you. If you're born again, if if you've received Jesus, Christ, meaning His anointing, is on the inside of you, and that is the hope of glory. So if anybody asked you, well, that's a strange name for a church. What does that mean? Say, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me explain it to you. And you just break out into Colossians 1, 26 and 27 and explain it to them. Explain what it means to have Christ in you. So what does it mean to have Christ in you? Well, it means just that. You define the word Christ. That wasn't Jesus' last name. It was a designation. It, was, it means the anointed one and his anointing. And so... It wasn't a last name, it was a designation. Jesus is the anointed one, and his anointing follows him. And so, if you have Christ in you, yes, you were adopted into the family of God, it doesn't mean you got a new last name. You could look at it that way. But it means something came inside of you. The power, the presence of God. Actually, if we go back to that verse we emphasized a few minutes ago, I believe it's verse 19, the fullness of God came inside of you. Now, if you, if you think about that long, that will definitely blow off your sketchers because you'll, you'll, you'll think, me, little old me, the fullness of God. Yeah, little old you. In your spirit, man, God created your spirit in such a way that it could contain the anointing of the one who is the fullness of God. You have access. You are a conduit. You're a channel. You're, you're a container. That doesn't mean all that God is in the whole universe is on the inside of you. That's not exactly what it means. But the fullness, meaning the power, the anointing, the favor of God, and it's not about quantity. It's about quality. How I many know I would, I, would, I would take one ounce of the power of God... <laughs> over a whole lifetime of my own personal efforts and struggles. Which do you think would be more valuable? <laughs> Just a little bit of the power of God would outdo anything I could do in my whole life, on my, in my own strength. And so, you have the fullness. That's the kind of power you have on the inside of you. That's the kind of presence you have. That's the kind of favor, anointing, whatever you want to call it. That's what it is. And so, we walk around so much below our privileges... You know, it's like with God, you're 10 feet tall. You know, man, you, you got it all, man. You know, bodybuilder, you know, everything. But, but we walk around like we're about three inches tall and we don't have any power and we're just little old meaty, meaty mite thing, you know. Not even mighty mouse. <laughs> Mealy mouth is more like it. And so we walk so below this revelation most of the time, most of our lives, most Christians, most churches full of Christians, because we don't want to do anything. And most people, when they're, when they're 
confronted with this revelation will reject it because it then has a responsibility that comes with it. If I have the anointing in the fullness of God inside and accessible and working through me, I've got to be responsible for that. Meaning that I've got to act like it. I've got to act on it. I've got to acknowledge it instead of sitting at home on my lazy boy being a lazy boy and, and just, you know, watching things on the tube and, and, and letting life go by. Well, if God wanted to do such and such, he'd just do it. No, he won't. No, he won't. That's not the way he set things up. When, when, when you were not obeying God, when you were out of the will of God, did he, just make, did he just do it and make you do something? No, he created us with a free will, didn't he? If not, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to receive him. You wouldn't have had the opportunity to reject him, which is what you did up until the time you received him. You were hostile. And so, no, it's not that, well, you know, as, as most Christians believe, well, let's pray, and if we cry out to God and ask God to move, where is he moving to? I thought he, I thought he was in heaven, and he was, he was on the throne, and Jesus was sat, sat down at the right hand. He's not moving. There's no U-Hauls in heaven. He's not going on a journey. He's expecting us to move. He's expecting us to be obedient. I'm not talking about dreaming up some scheme and, and manipulating people and going and doing something on your, of your own strength. I'm talking about finding out what is it, God, plugging in to my created, designed purpose and then stepping out by faith to go and start doing it. All the while asking the Holy Spirit to lead me step by step into the right path all along the way. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's, if we could say anybody's on the move, but he's, he's on the move only to expect us to follow. If not, he's really not on the move for us because he's living inside of us and he, he only goes where we take him as far as we're concerned. So we're the ones who need to be on the move. We're the ones who need to be about doing the Father's business. Isn't that what Jesus said he was doing? Even when he was 12 and he said to his parents, I must be about my father's business. How many of you who are children of God have inherited the family business <laughs> and are actively working in the family business? Well, I'm telling you, you might be in a physical family business, but I'm telling you, regardless, no matter what your talents or giftings are, you're in the family business if you're a child of God. You're in the family business of God Incorporated. <laughs> and and, you're, and you, you are not only, a, you're not a worker or an employee you're a child, and, and we know that, that businesses, usually the children of the owner, get more favor <laughs> than the employees do. But along with that comes responsibility and accountability, because the business has to keep going and keep operating. And, and the father's not going to do it all himself. He's expecting us to do. So I, I so appreciate that, that word from earlier this morning. Uh, because it, it's time for us to step out. It's time for us to do what God's calling us to do and to be on the move and, and not sitting at home. But, th- but if you realize, you say, you know, sometimes it can be overwhelming, especially if you learned what God's called you to do at a young age, maybe 10, 12, 15, 19, 21. Um, it can sound or seem overwhelming. But if you get this revelation that the anointing Christ is in you, it, it takes the burden off of you, even though you have responsibility to use that anointing. It takes the burden off of you because it's His power. It's His authority. It's His, what we call grace, the effectual power of God, right? The favor of God. It's been given to me. It's inside me. I, I, all I have to do is just put it to work. 
So it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, the hope of me giving glory, doing what God has created me to do. And that's what brings glory to to him. The hope of me ever doing that is because I have Jesus and his anointing living big on the inside of me. Therefore, I'm not limited to me. What am I limited to? Jesus, Christ. And he is, as verse 19 says, the fullness of God. So do I really have any limit? No, because the fullness is available to me. Wow. The fullness of the creator of the universe is available to me. I just need to start learning how he operates and start practicing it. Well, one way he operates, and this is not on the script, okay? I'm I'm deviating. One way he operates, this is a bonus. There won't be any extra charge at the end. He, the one way he operates is he speaks things out of his mouth in faith. And, and why does he do that? What happens when he does that? Things change. They manifest, right? Creative power happens. Go back and read Genesis. How did it all come about? He, God said, he spoke it, and it was so. God said, and it was so. So if we have that same creative power, we're plugged into the fullness, then you know, that message we heard a few a while back, the importance of what we say. Uh-oh, ouch, oh me, goodness me. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, need to, I need to realize what I say has an impact. It can be impact for the negative, or I can use that power of God with what I say, and I can impact in a creative way the kingdom of God. And, that, and I don't mean that just through sharing the word or giving testimony. I'm talking about speaking things, calling those things that be not as though they were. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? And so in verse 28, we're going to move on from there. It says, Paul went on to say, we proclaim him, him Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And so Paul says that, the reason we do this, the reason I'm preaching to you and teaching to you that Jesus is everything, that Jesus is the fullness, what he did, he's the image, he's the firstborn. He came on the rescue mission to get you. When you acknowledged him, his anointing came on the inside of, of you. The reason I'm doing this, and I, he says, I preach and I'm admonishing and teaching every man. And we know that Paul, everywhere he went, he, he not only preached the the message of salvation, right? And got, gave people an opportunity to be born again. But he usually hung around for a year or two and taught them and discipled them, right? Taught them, admonished them, helped them to get grounded in and discipled in the Word of God before he'd move on somewhere else. He didn't, he didn't go and make converts. He started the church in whatever city he went in. He established the, the body, the family of God. And so that's what he did, and he said it was so that. Why did he do that? Every time you see so that, it's like the question why. Some of my two favorite words. So that we may present every man complete in Christ, interpret Christ, complete in the anointed one and his anointing. So in other words, it was Paul's mission, as it, as it is all of ours in a way, to teach and share with people to see people become complete. Spirit, soul, meaning renewing their mind to the Word of God, and body, healthy and able, right? Complete in the anointed one, in His anointing. Did Jesus have a sound, sharp mind? We know He was a spirit. He was, a spirit. He was God, right? But did He have, was He complete in, the, in His soul? Yes, He was. 
was he complete in his body? Well, to the point that he had enough strength to endure the, the crucifixion, he did. He I mean, he had a body and he endured. There's nowhere that we see that we see any verses where it says, And Jesus was sick with the flu and was out of commission for two weeks. He sent the disciples on across the, this, uh, Galilee in a boat and he stayed back and convalesced at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Stayed in bed. Had the fever. No. Jesus was, co- was a complete man, wasn't he? He had the power of God operating in him all the time. And he walked in the anointing. The anointing permeated him all the time. You say, well, he was Jesus. Okay, let's back up. What's the mystery? The mystery is that he came inside of you and brought what? 10%. Just enough you could handle. What? Fullness. Brought the fullness of God. That is the mystery, that the fullness of God is within you. And so Paul said that that was his... That was what he was going about doing, was to see that preach and teach with all wisdom so that he could present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to whose power? His power, which mightily works within me. So it was for this purpose. This is why Paul was called. This is why he worked so hard. This is why the power of God worked so many things through him, was to fulfill this purpose, to see people being completed, seeing people becoming who and what God had called them to be. And undoubtedly, you know, Paul was not the only person who, who shared the gospel because we know that from him and the other disciples, the gospel went through the whole known world. They couldn't have done that one-on-one, face-to-face by themselves. So we know others took up the same type of... God called them to do different things, in other words, that fulfilled the kingdom of God going forth at that time into the whole known world in a fairly short period of time, 20, 30, 40 years, you know. Now, we know the population is more spread out today and there's more of them, but we have technology, we have other ways, other means of traveling faster than Paul did. We're not subject to donkeys or camels or boat ships that you have to row, <laughs> you know, and there's more of us. So, the same thing can be true again. We can, we can fill the earth with the Word of God. You know, just like we've, we've been amazed. Just because we're on the, the internet, the World Wide Web, www. <laughs> we got people, we had something from Kenya this week, somebody listening. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly what the message was about, but somebody there. We've had people from the Middle East. We've had people from, you know, other foreign places like California, you know, the Netherlands. Just us, just little old bitty us, just because we, we are tapping into something to get the word out. And so this is what Paul was saying he was about, getting the word out to see people complete. Now let's move on to, to chapter 2. We're going to do these first couple of verses and finish this section. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those that are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. See, it bothered Paul. Here he's hearing about this heresy in this new church that that Epaphras started in Colossae. And so he's, Epaphras came to him. Help me out, Paul. I gotta, there's this going on. What do I do? And so Paul wrote this letter back and, and, and just gave him Jesus. He didn't counteract the, the heresy. He just gave him Jesus and taught Jesus to him. But it bothered Paul that there were these other churches and cities where he hadn't been, where there were believers that he hadn't had a chance to teach them and disciple them. You know, now whether that was right or wrong, but... But it, 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 he prayed for them. He, wanted to, he would have preferred to have been there in person 
and spent weeks and weeks teaching them. But this verse 1 is telling us what his heart is about it. And then verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. So Paul is saying here that knowing and understanding this mystery, that the anointing is in you, understanding and, and, and getting a revelation of that and using that and walking in that is, is equal to great wealth. Wouldn't that be true? If we really lived according to the power that is within us, if we really lived to the, the full fulfillment of that, wouldn't that be more valuable than any other type of wealth you could imagine? Meaning, if we truly lived in divine health the way God intended us to, if we truly were plugged in, then that every day, 24-7, we were listening. Not that He's not speaking, but we were listening to the Holy Spirit and acting on what He was telling us. If we were, every waking moment that we were out with somebody else in public or with family or whatever, we would only say what the Holy Spirit told us to say. Everybody, oh me. <laughs> Which that one would be worth a million bucks, wouldn't it? Uh, how, how valuable would all of that be? And the thing is, is that's what's available to us. I'm not telling you this to get you discouraged. I'm telling you to encourage you that we don't have to be content or happy with where we're at. We can be content but not happy. We need to continue to, to desire to walk in more of what is on the inside of us, what is available to us. Verse 3, in whom, because it ended... Verse 2, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, if you read verse 3 and you had not read verse 26 and 27, you would think, well, and, and some people, some Christians are like this. Well, yes, Jesus has all wisdom and the treasures of all wisdom and all knowledge. And we'll just, we'll just have a 24-hour prayer vigil. And I'm not making fun of praying. And we'll ask Jesus to impart some of that wisdom if he sees fit in our dire situation today, brothers and sisters. Why is that a heretical prayer? Because, yes, Jesus has the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. But where is it on this earth? It's in you. <laughs> it's already inside you. Tap in, baby, and, and draw it out. <laughs> don't, don't beg and cry and waste time and, and doing useless things, calling out to God for something He's already done. Tap in and, and act on and use it. See? All wisdom. Not only all wisdom and all knowledge. All fullness. Understanding, power, health, healing, ability. All is available. Mm -mm -mm. Verse 4. I say this so that no one will elude you with persuasive arguments. See, Paul is, is so strongly wanting them to get this revelation about Christ in you, this great mystery. Why is he wanting to, them to get it? Because he's trying to keep them from being deceived. He's being preemptive for those who have not been deceived and for those that were some of these at, at this church in Colossae who had already been deceived. He's coming against this deception. So that you won't be deluded with some persuasive argument. See, it's hard to talk somebody out of something they already have. And if you realize you already have it, then, you know, uh, old, old Brother Robbins, that we, the pastor, we used to, he'd always talk about his grandma. Grandma Comer at the Dover Baptist Church. She was the first one in the family that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Played the piano every Sunday at the Dover Baptist Church. Okay? 
And this is a real place, by the way, down near Ashboro. <laughs> and, and so when, when the deacons heard that old sister Comer had gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Baptist church, then they went and talked to her and said, Sister Comer, you can't have this here. We don't believe in it. <laughs> and she said, well, you've come too late to tell me. I've already got it. <laughs> So see, you can't be talked out of something you already have. If you realize you already have it, then somebody can't talk you out of it. If you already experienced the power of the anointing of God on the inside of you, that you've tapped into things that are beyond yourself and you know it's God, nobody can tell you God is not alive and and real in you, right? This is the great mystery. And some people are born again, but they, they don't realize, in fact, they don't even believe that the anointing came within them. In fact, they don't even know what anointing, anointing, what does that mean? You know? And so they're not taught. And so it's important that, as Paul said, that we teach people. It's not just, you know, Epaphras went there and got them born again, but we need to go beyond that. You need to understand what you, what you received when you were born again. You didn't just get fire insurance to not go to hell. You got the power of God, the presence of God living within you to live an overcoming life in this life, cruise on beyond death and hell and into eternity. And not only for you, for all those you can affect because they can receive as well. See? Mm. In verse 5, we're going we're gonna to stop. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. So Paul was complimenting and encouraging them by faith to exercise the discipline and stability in their faith that they have. Remember at the beginning, he he, he mentioned that he had heard they had great faith and love for the brethren. And so what he's emphasizing is with this revelation about Jesus, that discipline, add to that that discipline and stability that you have and that you've already been exercising, you can do anything. You don't need all these things people say you've got to add to Jesus and, and live in the law and live in all these works and do all these rituals and this religion. You don't need religion. You need to tap into the power of God that's on the inside of you, the living presence of the living God. You have Him. You've got it all. You don't, what more do, could you need? This was the message. This is how, you know, we said this, this, this section, this Jesus the Great Mystery, was, was talking about who, why, who, what, and how. This is the how. This is how you live it out. Is because His anointing is inside you. That, his, that anointing impacts what you are able to do. It impacts you to go beyond yourself and live a life beyond your natural human five senses and live according to the power of the Father God and Jesus. So it's a, it's a tremendous revelation. When you get a hold of it and when, I mean, when you help other people get a hold of it, it will revolutionize your whole life because it's just, and it's not that it's, you got it when you're born again. It's just, you don't understand, most people don't understand what they have. That they have the actual anointing of Jesus. The presence, the power of Jesus. Which equates to, verse 19, the fullness of God. Accessible. Why would we think that there's things that we couldn't do if God told us to do them? Now I'm talking to all of us. Why is, it, why is there anything too big? Why is there anything too great? Well, it costs all of this. So, if God can figure out a way to get the creative power and favor that brought the universe into existence contained into the inside of a human body, 
Don't you think he can figure out where to get a little bit of money to you? That is no big deal. No problem, as Andrew says. No problem. No problem at all. And so that's the way we can start looking at things. It's, and, it, and it's through the eyes of faith based on a knowledge of what we have, an understanding, a revelation of what we have. It, it, it really rises you up to a greater um, capacity of your faith because you realize that it's not limited to me. It's not even limited to things I may have done before. Now, you have to grow in your faith. Don't get me wrong. And that takes time. But the power that's behind you, the capability that's there is unlimited. It's the fullness of God. See, God could take you and, and, and make you a witness to entire sections of the world. Or as big as that, God could take you to be an influence to your, in your neighborhood so that everybody in your neighborhood knows that God is real because you share how he's been real to you. Particularly some of those that are the hostile. <laughs> Amen. It's an awesome thing. So come back next week and we're going to get into section three. And um, it's going to be good.